After a prolonged hiatus, the Pennsburg podcast is back with episode number 11. I am your host, Garrett Behanna, joined once again by the almighty Hooks Orpic, Jim Rixner. Jim, how are you tonight? What's up? What's up? Doing good. How's it going? Pretty good. Uh, you know, it's been uh, it's been a pretty crazy day uh, if you're a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, in large part due to the trade that the gunslinger Jim Rutherford made earlier today, acquiring two forwards for two forwards. Uh, so so let's get let's get into this. Uh, Jim Rutherford acquired uh, forwards Nick Bukestad and uh, Jared McCann from the Florida Panthers and shipped out Riley Shan and the very polarizing Derek Brassard. And uh, obviously, we're, you know, we're going to get uh, more in-depth into it with our fantastic interview we have with Josh Yoey coming up in, in just a bit. But, uh, Jimmy, briefly gr- glancing over this trade, I think pr- when the trade was announced earlier, looking at it on the surface, I thought it was I thought the trade was a win for Pittsburgh, you know, shipping out a piece like Broussard, who, you know, you, you had the assumption that, you know, his time was coming to an end in Pittsburgh and and shipping out a, a depth. You could argue Shane is more of a depth guy, a fourth liner who really didn't make any sort of impact on the team this year. So shipping out Broussard and Shane, plus a, a couple of uh, a couple of draft picks for the 2019 draft. Uh, looking at the players who the Penguins acquired, uh, I was pretty impressed with the haul that Jim Rutherford was able to get, acquiring Bukestad, you know, who, who you would think is going to slot into that third-line center role, and uh, a really young forward in, in Jared McCann, who, you know, being only 22 years old, you know, you look at that as a general manager in the NHL thinking, a 22-year-old who's already in the NHL, uh, I'd sign up for that t- uh, seven days out of seven. So, uh, you know, I think personally, looking at the return that Jim Rutherford got uh, from this trade with Florida, you know, I think this really does cement Pittsburgh and shows that they're as committed as ever to try and go get another championship. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And the thing that I think is the biggest thing of all is you trade Derek Broussard, free agent at the end of this year that wasn't fitting in, wasn't going to stay any further. You trade Riley Shahan, who's just basically a spare part that makes a lot of money in Pittsburgh. You trade him away too, just that's basically a blessing to clear up more space and you get two guys, one who's 26 years old in Bukestad who's signed for this year and next year at a reasonable rate. You get Jared McCann, who's 22 years old signed for even less at 1.2. And, and that's really, really good. So the Penguins get younger, they get cheaper and that's good. Like this team needs younger players. They need fresh blood. They need fresh legs. And I think they really accomplished that. So that in itself is very good. You give up a second-round draft pick and two fourth-round draft picks. The fourth rounds are basically nothing at all to worry about. The second round should be pretty late, let's hope. So I'm pretty happy with that, too. I, I, I think that was a very fair price to pay because you're trading away two guys who don't have any term on their contract, and you're bringing in two younger guys who do either have term or team control for a while now. So in that regard, that's a very big positive, and you could argue – since Broussard wasn't playing well in Pittsburgh, you've gotten a skill advantage too with the way it's worked out. I, I think, yeah, you hit the nail right on the head there, Jimmy. I think the biggest thing that struck me when the trade was announced was looking at the players that they acquired. Um, you know, the I don't know if, if hype is the right word. The salary cap implications are what really struck me. The fact that these aren't just rentals, you know, and you would think it become trade deadline time, um, you know, a lot of general managers who were bolstering for that playoff run are just looking for, you know, half a season rentals just to make that extra push into the playoff. The thing that really sold me on this deal was the fact that both of these guys are under control for at least through the end of next season. So that was the big selling point to me. That's why I'm excited. Can't get much worse uh, if you're the Penguins looking at that third line center role and you know how polarizing that position has been over the last number of years, just because of the success that you know comes to mind when when you think of the the championship teams the Penguins have constructed in recent years. You, you know everyone has fond memories of of, of Nick Bonino anchoring the HBK line, and you know for whatever reason Broussard couldn't get it going. He's gone now. You know the thought is you know Bukestad likely comes in here and anchors that third line and and really irons out he and McCann both really will probably iron out that bottom six so I think all around uh, it's a solid deal for the Penguins 
one that I think just like I said, doesn't have implications for this year, but also has positive implications for next season and possibly uh, even more seasons down the road. Well, who knows? For sure. Cause if you look at it too, um, it's always, it always comes down to Pittsburgh against Washington in 2009, Jordan Stahl, third line center did a great job. I don't even know who the capital center was back then. Cause they didn't have a lot of pieces. 2016, 2017, Nick Benino was very, very good, especially in that series against the Capitals. Last year, 2018, Derek Broussard, he was playing on a bad groin, but he didn't he didn't do much. And Lars Eller, for the Capitals, their third-line center, he was very good. So that third-line center role is very, very important when it comes to playoffs when you have two teams that are very good themselves and very equally matched up at the top of the lineup with a lot of star power. It often comes down to that third line. So I think Broussard wasn't working. You needed to get him out. And to get two young players with some skill, some potential, that's a win, and that's a hope that maybe it'll be better this time around. So in that regard, I'm encouraged. I, I agree with you 100% that it's good to get younger. It's good to get, you know, they didn't spend a lot of money to do this because they already had it budgeted. So it, it's good. You get two former first-round picks, both guys, one with a lot of size, one who's very young. And we'll see how it goes from here, but I think I think it's going to be nothing but po- at at worst it should be a neutral trade for the Pens because they weren't getting anything from Bassard really, and Shahan's just a guy. So at worst this year is nothing, but you're still going to have them for multiple years to come, which is also going to be just a huge key and a, a big benefit. Let's look. Let's look back. Uh, we'll go only as far back as towards the end of the All Star break. Meaning we'll we'll talk about the. The game against the Devils and the the game Wednesday night against the Tampa Bay Lightning and uh, their most recent contest against the Ottawa Senators. Uh, You know, they they came out Monday night and, you know, for all intents and purposes, you could say bluntly that they looked flat coming out of the gate, losing six to three against the Devils at home. And Jimmy, for whatever reason, I don't have an answer. I don't know if you have an answer. I don't know if anyone in that Penguins locker room has an answer for why the Devils have been the Penguins bugaboo for for the better part of this season. They don't t- they don't look like a, a a competitive team in the Metropolitan Division at least to this point in the season. You know when comparing uh, the Penguins to the Capitals or the Blue Jackets or even the Islanders who have come out of nowhere. So for this for this team who really doesn't really have all the pieces in place like the Devils do, it's just for whatever reason the Penguins just can't seem to 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 match their their devilish divisional rival here and uh i don't know if you have any thoughts on you know why you think the penguins just don't have it against the devils i I can't even describe it just a weird way they play against this team for whatever reason but we'll just move on to uh to the following game against the the tampa bay lightning on wednesday night hockey uh this was a game jimmy looking at it i thought going in i really did think that following the loss against the devils uh, the, the Penguins were going to come out flat in this game as well. And um, they ended up winning this game in front of a nationally televised audience, you know, Wednesday night hockey. They ended up beating, uh, you you could make the argument, a pretty strong argument, that the Lightning have been the NHL's best team to this point in the season. And for them to get a 4-2 to victory, albeit, you, you know, you could put an asterisk next to the victory because you could make the argument that for this game, on the stat sheet, the Penguins were outplayed for a majority of, of this game, but the only thing that matters in the NHL is goals for, goals against. You score more goals than the opposition, you win the game, and and that's what the Penguins did. They, they turned out a hard-fought victory against the league's best team in the Lightning, and then they follow it up with the game against the Ottawa Senators with a uh, a pretty convincing 5-3 to three win. Things looked a little shaky there at the end. It looked like Ottawa was clawing back, trying to tie the game up at four, but they ended up winning the game 5-3. to three. So winning two out of three here, uh, coming out of the All-Star break, is, is a pretty positive sign, especially taking those two points against the Lightning, as I had mentioned. And, you know, looking ahead at the Penguins' schedule, they have a, a game against a pretty good Maple Leafs team coming up the second half of a back-to-back. Then they go against the Hurricanes, another divisional rival, who looks like they're on the up-and-up. And then they face the Florida Panthers, uh, which that'll be an interesting game based on the trade that was just made earlier. And then we'll stop there with another game against the Tampa Bay Lightning after that on February 9th. So... Looking ahead at this next stretch of games, I don't know if it gets any easier for the Penguins, but 
you know, at least looking at the results coming out of the All-Star break, it, it's hard not to be impressed because, you know, wins are wins in the NHL. Points are points, wins are wins. And the Penguins have found ways to win two out of three coming out of the break. So I'm impressed with what the Penguins have done. Uh, but I, I want to switch it over and get your thoughts on what you think the Penguins have looked like coming out of the break. Yeah, for sure. You asked why do they struggle against New Jersey? And I mean, they've struggled against all the bad teams this year. They're before Friday night, one seven and one against last place teams, whether it's LA, Chicago, Ottawa, or New Jersey. They just they're the Penguins, I think they've talked to it a little bit. They just don't I don't know if they don't respect their opponents or they don't feel like they need to show up and they can win on talent alone, but you have to work hard. It's, it's in the NHL these days, it's you're a better team, but you have to actually go out and earn it. And Pittsburgh didn't earn it. The Penguins, their first night against New Jersey, losing 6-3, they were terrible. They were awful. They deserved to lose that game. They did lose that game. They would have lost that game to pretty much any team in the world, just about, because they weren't trying. They were making so many mistakes, physical, mental, you name it. They were just bad. That was, that was a bad game. And that's kind of the crazy thing about this Pittsburgh team is they're so good. They're so talented. But at the same time, they they don't really apply themselves all the time. They're not really on the ball as much as they should be, especially early in the year. But if this was October or November, you can look by that. Now the calendar just flipped to February. It's it's getting tough to overlook that stuff. So they need to buckle down. They're a veteran team. They've been, been where they want to go. So they know, obviously, all of this. It's not breaking any news. So that that's kind of a thing. They know they have to be better, but at the same time, they actually have to play better. And to that point, I think the Tampa Bay Lightning did the Penguins a huge favor last Wednesday because Tampa is by far and away the best team in the league this year. You look at their top nine forwards, their top four defense. I'm top to bot. They are so strong. They're in first place by a mile at this point. I mean, everything looks like it's theirs to lose. They're healthy. They have a great goalie. They're young. They're fast. And they played so hard. Every whistle after the whistle, hitting Matt Murray, getting in his face, getting in everybody's face. And that kind of, that looked like it woke the Penguins up. They were like, uh-oh, we better get at this. You saw Jack Johnson got in the guy's face, punched him a few times. That was great. You'll love to see that. A guy slid into Murray and extended his arms. Didn't feel bad about that. So then Brian Dumoulin had to pounce on him and punch him up a little bit. And that's what you need to see. You need to see that emotion. You need to see them waking up. And I think that brought out really a good sign of the Penguins. And they won that game. They did. They got, there were stretches of that game where Tampa was clearly the better team. Matt Murray played really well in that game. But still, the Penguins were the ones scoring goals. So you can be the better team, but. If you're scoring goals, you're scoring goals, which the Pens did to an effect. So that was great. And then Friday night against Ottawa, same thing. Overmatched team, and for once they came out, they played relatively well. They did what they needed to do. Jake Gunsel flashed two goals, two nice passes from Crosby. What else is new? And they took control of that game. They clamped down, and they finished it. They got the win, and that's important because you look at the division. Washington was on a slump. They won Friday night. New York Islanders have been incredible lately, better than anyone predicted. They lost in a shootout Friday night, so it, it's getting tight. Columbus, no one knows what they're going to do with their two big free agents to be. They're still in the picture, and everything is just, you could be first place, you could be fourth place in the Metro, and the Pens, the Pens need to get in that position, and they need to play well, and this upcoming schedule, I think they have like seven games in the first 13 days of February. It's going to be really tough. It's going to be, there's a lot of travel, even though it's local travel. There's still travel. There's a back-to-back tonight and last night on Friday with Ottawa and then heading up to Toronto. So it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be interesting to see how they do and especially how they respond after this trade because, as we all know, Jim Rutherford isn't going to be inactive. If, if they don't get it together, he's probably going to trade out some more people as he's been doing all year long and pretty much since he's been around. And the point you brought up just at the end there is a good one and a perfect segue into into our interview segment with Josh Yoey. And that's, that's something that we touched on uh, in our interview with Yoey as well. You know, we talk about if Rutherford doesn't like what he's seeing, you know, we know he still has that first round draft pick. We know he's, he's a gunslinger general manager. He's not afraid to make a move. So, you know, you also brought up a good point in, 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 
and how how many games, just how many games that they have to play in this opening stretch of February. And it's not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination, but it's going to be fascinating to watch, especially with the two new bodies that they acquired from the Florida Panthers earlier. Uh, It's just going to be fun to watch down the stretch as we prepare for another playoff push in Pittsburgh. Jimmy, if you're all set, we have a great interview with the Athletics' Josh Yoey lined up on the other end of this break. So if you're all set, I'm all set. We can get straight into the interview with the fantastic Josh Yoey. Let's roll. All right, here is the Athletics' Josh Yoey. We hope you enjoy. Our guest for this episode of the podcast is a fantastic writer for the Pittsburgh chapter of The Athletic, and he is one member of the Pittsburgh media that really no one can honestly say a bad thing about. He is the one and only Josh Yoey. Josh, how are you? You've never met my ex-wife, clearly, but I appreciate the introduction. (laughs) (laughs) So... Uh, Josh, you know, it's been a pretty crazy day for the the Pittsburgh Penguins. And and I'm sure, you know, you've been running around trying to cover, you know, all all of this crazy trade activity uh, that that the Penguins uh, have been making. So uh, let's dive right into it. The the Penguins acquire Nick Bukestad and and Jared McCann from the Florida Panthers for Riley Sheehan, Derek Broussard, and a couple of draft picks. So you're really you're you're inside the walls basically 24/7 and i i think you have a a pretty clear understanding most of the time of you know how jim rutherford likes to operate especially closer to uh the nhl trading deadline so what was the gist you got from from jim rutherford after after the trade was announced uh what what was he what was he um uh displaying to you and the rest of the members of the media how does he feel about this transaction and the hopes to make another deep playoff run for the penguins well, boy, I'll tell you, I, I was on the phone with Jim uh, only a few minutes after the trade was official. And boy, I've probably spoken with Jim after about 15 or 20 trades because the man trades a lot. I mean, for, for a team that's a contender, as much as the Penguins are, they sure trade a lot of players. Um, <laughs> and this year in particular, and I can honestly tell you, I don't think I've ever heard him happier after a trade. I mean, sometimes he sounded happy after trades, but you could tell he wasn't sure. You know, he knew he was taking a chance. I think he feels like he knocked one out of the park with this one, and obviously time will tell. But a couple of issues here. Uh, He really wanted to trade Derek Broussard, and it was pretty evident for those of us who are around the Penguins daily. Derek Broussard didn't want to be in Pittsburgh. He really didn't. He wanted out. Uh, He just, his body language just screamed that he, he wasn't pleased with the situation and his value had clearly dropped a great deal. So I think for Jim to include Broussard as kind of the main piece in a package, actually the draft picks were probably more enticing to Florida, but still uh, to get rid of Broussard and, and you lose Shane, but let's be honest, uh, Riley Shea, it's not rock Francis. Um, to only lose those two guys and to bring back, I think two players that clearly do have more upside. Um, yeah. I think on the surface, it may be a win for Rutherford and, I assure you, he was really, really delighted with how this went down. Yeah, I would think so, too. I'm sure we'll talk about the trade return the Penguins got in a little bit. But to your point on Derek Broussard, I think I saw in The Athletic, actually, maybe the trade grade article that was written there, which obviously a great site for The Athletic, and I'm sure everyone subscribes, and if they don't, they really should. You're missing out. It's it's definitely worth it for just everything. I'm a big college football guy. It's got a lot of college football. Steelers, Pirates, everything you can dream of as a sports fan. But um, one thing that was interesting to me and I thought was a good point made, I think they had they had an unnamed scout said Derek Broussard, his minutes were lower in Pittsburgh than what he was used to. And if there was an offensive zone draw, obviously he wasn't a guy that was getting a chance at that a lot since there's the Crosby line, the Malkin line. Do you think that had to go with it, that it just wasn't really a good fit, that Derek Broussard, he's an offensive-minded center, you know, he's used to creating, he's used to being either a first or a second line guy in Ottawa or in New York. Was that really more a fit thing in Pittsburgh? Because it's really weird that, you know, he's a good player by all accounts and it's not as if he just doesn't have skills, but for whatever reason, it just didn't work at all in Pittsburgh. What what some of the reasons you think that why it didn't work out at all for Broussard and for the Penguins together? Oh, there's no question. Um, you know, the Penguins messed up last year. Let's let's be honest. They they got the wrong guy and they gave up way way too much for Derek Broussard. He never fit in. 
you know, you can look at it two ways. You can say he was never interested in doing things they need a third-line center to do, or you, you can say he just wasn't equipped to do them. Maybe it was a little bit of both. To me, though, the single biggest thing with Broussard, and I realize you're right, he didn't get a ton of offensive draws. He, he didn't get the minutes that he's always gotten in the past. But the single biggest thing for me, and it really doesn't make that much sense, but I think you'll agree with me, and I think it was really evident, he had zero chemistry with Phil Kessel. Zero. And they largely acquired him to play with Phil. Mike, I know the fans like Phil and Gino together. It's entertaining. I enjoy it myself at times. Mike Sullivan doesn't. Mike Sullivan loves Phil Kessel on the third line, even if Phil doesn't like it. And when they got Broussard, I truly think they thought, this is a guy who is so gifted. He can play with Kessel. He can get the most out of Phil. And in the games those two played together, I mean, they were just awful. I think there was a game in Colorado back in November when they were literally on the ice for 15 shots against and might have had one shot for even strength all game. I'm, it's like, how is that possible with two guys who are that gifted? It just didn't work. And, you know, Derek Broussard, the, the guy doesn't stink. He, he does have talent, but he just screams to me as a guy who is a number two center somewhere and not a number three center on a team like the Penguins. He just he isn't a good penalty killer, really. His defense seems to be not what it was a few years ago. I remember him being pretty good defensively with the Rangers. Back in the day, I don't think he's that great defensively now. He's a number two center on an average or bad team, in my opinion. He's just not a number three guy on the Penguins. And, and I think Broussard and Rutherford both long ago came to that conclusion. So this day was probably pretty inevitable. Yeah, and you're right, because the Penguins' formula under Mike Sullivan is pretty clear that come playoff time, it's Phil Kessel on his own line, Malkin on his line, Crosby on his line. I mean, that formula is pretty tried and true, so I don't have a problem with that necessarily, but I think you're right that there was nothing with Phil, which is weird, because you would think that could be the makings of a first or second line on another team somewhere else, so it's it's weird that didn't work, but even beyond that, Derek Broussard didn't really mesh with Brian Rust. He didn't mesh with Patrick Hornquist. I mean, it was more than just Phil. Pretty much anyone on the team they tried him with, and Sullivan moves his lines around a lot, and he tried him with a lot of guys, it seemed like, in a lot of different places, and nothing was clicking. So that that just really doesn't add up as to why that never got got a hold of anything going. No, and, and the reality is the best Derek Broussard ever looked in a Penguins uniform was when he was playing on Sidney Crosby's line. And he had that game. It was actually the game he got hurt. Uh, I think it was in Calgary in the 9-1 game when he had three assists. They looked great together. Uh, they looked really good uh, for a period together in Long Island back in December. And, and I, I referenced it at the time, and I truly believe this. Uh, Broussard literally looked like he was playing harder when he was out there with Crosby. And I promise you the Penguins front office noticed that, and they weren't very amused by it. I, I do think there was a feeling of, man, this is a guy who's in a contract year wants to pad his stats. Whenever we ask him to play a shutdown defensive role, he's not the least bit interested. I mean, that's how it came across. And I think a lot of people in the organization saw that. And the writing was kind of on the wall at that point that, you know what, we just don't think we're going to win with this guy. And in a way, I feel bad for Broussard, though, even though I don't think he had the greatest attitude, quite frankly. I mean, it was really obvious in the last couple of weeks being around him. He wanted out. But I will say this. The Penguins ask an extraordinary amount out of their third-line center. They're asking you to be a good penalty killer, to be good defensively, good on faceoffs, and, oh, by the way, be a little gritty, but also have chemistry with Phil Kessel. That's a tough combination. That's a lot of moving parts going on there, and not many people could pull it off. Nick Benino could, but I think he's, frankly, pretty unique because I don't think many other players have that kind of skill set to do all of those things, and clearly Broussard did not. So we look we look at now the the return that the Penguins got. Obviously, we we mentioned J- Jared McCann and Nick Bukestad. Uh, Josh, what is the thought process now, looking at the the current state of the Penguins roster with Broussard uh, officially gone? It, do you think Mike Sullivan's thought process or Rutherford's thought process, for that matter, is to keep? Presumably, you would think that they would keep Nick Bukestad uh, and, and replace him in in Broussard's role. Is that the idea that you're getting? Obviously, it's incredibly early to tell, as both guys were basically rushed into the rushed in the arena tonight before the game started. But prematurely, is that is that where they want to go? Have Nick Bukestad primarily cement that third line for, for another playoff run, or did, did, you know do they have aspirations to put him up on the wing uh, in the top six with either Crosby or Malkin? By the way, how great was it that they literally showed up during the national anthem? 
Uh, I that don't, was so good. I don't know how many times <laughs> I've ever seen that. I asked Rutherford earlier in the day, I said, these guys aren't playing tonight, are they? He said, they're on a plane right now. We really hope they can make it, but we're not sure. I'm like, oh, wow, that's interesting. So they almost went with 10 forwards uh, against the Senators. But, uh, yeah, the plan for now, and, of course, Gino Malkin's banged up. I don't think he's going to be out for more than a few games. But when the Penguins are healthy, they're going to give Bukestead a look at third-line center. That, that, that's why they got him for now. And I suspect they will play him with Phil Kessel some more, see how they look. What's interesting, though, is when I asked Jim Rutherford about that, he suggested to me that McCann is a guy that they think might project as their third-line center a little bit down the road in a year or two. They really like this kid. Um, I was told by multiple sources that this trade does not happen without him. This was not just about Bukestead. They really wanted McCann, and Florida did not want to give him up. Uh, yeah, they wanted to give Bukestead up to get him off the book so they can make a pitch for Bobrovsky and Panera in this summer, or maybe even before then. That's why they got rid of Bukestead. But McCann, they didn't want to give him up at all. And Jim Rutherford said, Rutherford said, no, we're taking both of them or this trade's not going to happen. Dale Talon and company finally relented. But um, they think he can be the third-line center in the future. They like him that much. And Bukestead is a guy who really can play both positions. A lot of guys say they can play center or wing, but they actually can't. Bukestead can. Uh, he's played some of his best hockey, in fact, on the right side. He played with Barkov uh, for a good bit last year, played really well on the wing with him. The guy can shoot the puck. He's a goal scorer. And at some point, you're probably going to see him get a look with Crosby or Malkin, I would imagine. The only problem is the Penguins are so loaded at right wing already. You've already got Hornquist and, and Kessel there. You've got Russ playing out of position already on the left side. So I don't know where the room would be for Bukestead, but you're probably going to see Mike Sullivan do some mixing and matching, some experimental work. And that's one of the great things about this trade. It happened almost a month before the trade deadline. So that gives these guys more time to get acclimated. It gives Sullivan more of an opportunity to get a look at what he has. So it'll be interesting, but I'm telling you, McCann is really interesting just in how much uh, the Penguins push for him. They, they really, really like this kid. That's very interesting, and I think that is a very exciting point because McCann's 22 years old. He has some NHL experience. He's he's kind of growing into what he could be. I think he's well-regarded already as a pretty good two-way player, shutdown guy. But you look, the Penguins don't have that many guys with all the picks they've traded who can be an NHL player at 22 years old and play center and has, has some good offensive instincts and is a good two-way player. So I definitely think the McCann – piece of the puzzle is a very very clutch one especially since he's under contract next year for 1.25 million which should be basically a discount rate pretty much for a 22 23 year old player so he's exciting so i'm excited to see what happens there um to your point i think you're right that the right wing is crowded i think that's our i have friends our friends in florida tell me that bukesad's better as a winger than a center but I don't know. I feel like a, a change of scene, especially for him. He spent his whole career in Florida. Do you think that'll maybe help him to get a change of scenery in Pittsburgh? Not that it's going to be like a renaissance or anything, but just to get out of that Florida organization where they really don't make the playoffs that often, or if they do, they don't go anywhere. What do you think it'll be for a change of scenery for two young guys to get into Pittsburgh, get into a playoff chase on a veteran team? Well, first of all, you said two young guys, and that's important. Um, the Penguins needed to add some youth, and they've done so with both of these guys. That's important. Um, you know, I've talked with a lot of people who, who have followed Nick Bukestad pretty closely. Uh, a couple of things about him. First of all, for what it's worth, boy, this is a guy of really high character. I, I mean, I was blown away by the praise I heard from people who know him on a personal level. Just a really good human being for what that's worth. And, yeah, a lot of people do think he's better on the wing. Um, he's been more productive in his career on the wing. So perhaps we'll see. And like I said, Mike Sullivan's going to play him, I think, in both spots and see what he likes better. But, yeah, getting out of that organization is a, is a really big deal. That's not a very well-run organization, let's be honest. Look at the players they've let go over the last couple of years. I mean, I don't think Vegas makes the final without the contribution from the Florida Panthers last year with March or so and Riley Smith. I mean, they've made right. some really curious decisions, and they do have talent down there. And the likes of Barkov and Trocek, I, I really – I pick that team to make the playoffs every year, and they disappoint me every year. Same. But they've made some very <laughs> odd decisions. Yeah, I mean, they've made some strange decisions. Um, it's just not a winning culture down there. It's not – and I – I know somebody who was around the Florida Panthers an awful lot, and he told me today 
He said, you watch. Bukestad's going to be really good in Pittsburgh. He, they just didn't know what to do with him in Florida. They misused him. This guy's a really good hockey player. So we'll see. Um, and as we know, you know, if he is going to be the third-line center, he will run into the same things that Broussard did. He's not going to get a lot of offensive zone draws. He's not going to get much time on the power play. He's not going to get a ton of minutes. So we'll have to consider that when we look at his numbers and, and project just what he'll do. But this is a talented hockey player. In fact, listen, they're both former first-round picks. They both have a pedigree. And in, in Bukestad's case, we know he can score at the NHL level. So I think coming to Pittsburgh, I, I, I have a good feeling about this trade. The more I think about it, the more I like it for the Penguins. And Bukestad is a guy they've really liked for a long time. Um, the last couple of years, the Penguins have been so speed-oriented that you know a guy like him maybe doesn't fit as much. But they're kind of becoming, if I might use basketball term, kind of more of a half-court offensive team, I think. I think they're trying to stop focusing on scoring on the rush all the time, and they want to be a team that works down low more that wears teams out, and and Buke said they have a guy who I think can help them in that regard. I think you're right on that, and to what you were talking about, Florida, they also fired their coach, Jar Glant, unceremoniously, sending him away in oh, a taxi. Yeah. yeah, and he was a huge, <laughs> huge part of the Vegas team, so not even did they get Riley Smith and Jonathan Marcheseau, two great players basically for nothing. They also got the coach, so yeah, they definitely make curious decisions, and I had heard a long, long time ago that the Penguins under Ray Shero actually wanted to draft Nick Bukestad in the first round in 2010. And I think he got taken the very pick before the Pens were up and they had to move down their list and they took Bo Bennett that year. So different regime now, but I think Bukestad's a guy that's been on the radar for a long time. They're happy probably to get him now. So you know, my, favorite story, my favorite story of players the Penguins almost drafted, by the way, um, Let's the, go. the draft that was in Pittsburgh, the draft that was in Pittsburgh in 2012, um, I assure you, Ole Mata would not be a Pittsburgh Penguin if Tom Wilson were still on the board, just so you yeah, know. Yeah, I heard, I heard that, that too. Oh, my yeah. goodness. They were absolutely going to take him. Shiro loved him. So I, I don't know how that would have changed things. Ole's obviously been a pretty good player for the Penguins, and I'm sure Penguins fans like it this way. But, um, yes, that almost happened. And now, Bukestad, I, I'm really intrigued by him. I, I know the Penguins have always liked him. He's always felt like uh, he's been a little misused in Florida. I know some people say he hasn't necessarily reached his potential there, but uh, let's give him a chance with a better team. I, I think he's a really interesting hockey player. And offensive players typically do thrive playing in Pittsburgh in that environment. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see what he can do. And I'm interested to see if he can play with Phil Kessel because Phil doesn't necessarily need skilled guys to center him. He was great with Tyler Bozak, who's not, you know, going to blow you away with his skill. I'd say Derek Broussard has more skill than Tyler Bozak, but sometimes Phil likes playing with those kinds of guys. And, and we don't think of Bukestad as a highly skilled guy necessarily, more of a shoot-first player, but so was Nick Benino, quite honestly. So who knows? Maybe he and Phil will have something. And one more, Josh, before we move on. There was another trade this week where the Penguins shipped out Jamie Alexiak for the, the very same pick, funny enough, that they got him for last year and I mean they kind of gave him a big contract this past summer hoping he would grow into a bigger role they got Marcus Pedersen he Alexiak kind of falls out of favor a little bit didn't play so well what's your thoughts on that move that's kind of lost in the shuffle now with with the big trade on Friday but what do you think about moving Alexiak and how do you think that'll work going forward for the defense down the stretch well, for one thing, it was all part of the puzzle. They moved him to clear salary so they could make this trade with Florida. Um, there's no doubt in my mind about that. Um, I liked Alexiak, you know. He was getting healthy scratched earlier this season, and I didn't necessarily agree with that. I, I thought he was playing okay, and frankly, he gave them a little bit of something in the offensive zone, which is nice. Um, but the coaches really felt like he regressed this season. They, they felt like his defensive work was not as good. And he fell out of favor, and he was not going to be in the top six when the playoffs started. Um, I know everybody wants Jack Johnson out of the top six. Probably not going to happen. Certainly, Jamie Alexiak was not going to be inserted uh, in his place, and the Penguins knew that. And, you know, they, they're going to have eight defensemen once Justin Schultz returns. So one of those guys was going to be dealt. Alexiak is, I guess, the most logical one in that regard. I thought he got better with the Penguins. I really did. Um, I think he's an okay player. I think Dallas can make use of him. But in the end, it, it was all to set up this trade. And you know what's funny? If you're not going to play Alexiak, 
he was making a couple million bucks. So you could argue he was a little overpaid. And Riley Shane was also making about two million a year. And you could argue those are two of the more overpaid players on the team. And Rutherford Certainly. got rid of both of them. Like, so from yeah. a salary cap standpoint, maybe it's a good thing. We were just talking about the the uh, the rather quick fire fashion that Jim Rutherford moved in to make these deals. Uh, shipping away Alexiak and and bringing in Bukestad and McCann, Josh. It really seems like the 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 trade, the NHL's trade deadline. If it were a holiday, I'm pretty sure it would it would probably be up there next to Christmas or Thanksgiving with Jim Rutherford's you know favorite days of the year. And you know we were doing some work at Pennsburg, and I'm sure you were doing some work work with the Athletic earlier today. You know, trying to find as much information on these two new guys as as we all could. But one thing that interests me is that the Penguins still have their first-round draft pick for the 2019 draft. And if there's one thing, you know, we've become accustomed to watching Jim Rutherford over the years is that he's not afraid to move these draft picks, particularly these first-round draft picks, to acquire more talent uh, ahead of making another playoff push. Is there a scenario do you foresee between now and the, I believe it's the February 25th deadline, where Rutherford feels like he may have to make another move possibly with this first round draft pick or do you do you get the feeling now after today that you know he likes his team he likes his team where it is right now and he he'll just like stand pat and develop that chemistry for for April well first of all the great thing about Jim is I really believe he's a GM like much in the way most of us would be like I would make trades all the time if I were a GM just for fun and I feel like Jim's almost wired like that a little bit. I think he kind of enjoys making trades. He makes life interesting for people like us, that's for sure. And um, I actually brought up the topic of the first-round pick. I said, Jim, I said, you've already made your big move, I guess. you still got that first-round pick, and I know you don't like to hold on to those. So what's going on with that? And he told me, <laughs> this is kind of funny, he said every night when he goes to bed, he says to himself, Jim, this is the year you got to keep that first-round pick. Don't trade it this year. And I said, why? You trade it every other year. And he said, well, this is a really good draft, and we know it. And it's probably prudent that we hold on to that pick. So I said, uh, so you're saying you're not going to trade that pick? He said, well, I didn't say that. I, I, said, <laughs> I, said, I said I shouldn't, and I don't want to. But anything's possible. <laughs> so I, I don't think they're going to trade it. But, you know. I, I would not put it past Jim. Here's the Penguins' problem, though. They don't have much cap space right now after these latest deals. So for them to bring in an impact player, they would likely have to ship out someone who's already making money. I don't know who that would be. There's not really any logical person that they want to trade at this point. So I could see Jim making another minor move, perhaps. But my guess right now is you won't see anything major, and I think he'll probably hold on to that pick. All right, Josh, let me float this by you then. One guy who doesn't make a lot of money, who's on the trading block from all available sources, and the price is a first-round pick, is Michael Furland out of Carolina, who has kind of been compared to a Tom Wilson-type player for a winger with pretty good hands, big size, throws some hits. And in the East especially, we hear teams want to load up and get that kind of edge to their team so they can go up against Toronto or Tampa, who we saw this week that was very physical, very feisty, or Washington. Do you think a push comes to shove Furland for a first would be something that the Penguins would entertain, or do you think that's still kind of what they have to sort out in the next month as they see what these two new guys fit in? Well, I can tell you that they really like him. Uh, They've been in on him for a while in discussions with, with the Hurricanes. Um, Jim would love to get him. I don't know that he's willing to give up a first for him. I, I don't sense that he is. So maybe if the asking price drops a little bit, uh, the Penguins would consider it. Of course, the problem is they don't have a second-round pick now because that was part of the trade today. So uh, they just don't have many chips left to deal. Uh, that's rather for, That's why I think Jim did such a great job today. Um, the Penguins don't have a lot to offer teams. If you want prospects or draft picks, they really don't want to trade that first-round pick this season. And what prospects do the Penguins have that would really be all that interesting to other teams at this point? That really Sprong was the only one who really jumped out at you, and and his stock, frankly, had dropped. So given the situation Jim was in, I thought he did a really good job today, but they don't have a lot to offer. But they love Furland. I mean, they would love to add him, but they've already you know brought in, what, four new players in the last two or three months. Um, I think Rutherford wants to let his team gel a little bit and see where uh, – 
see where they are before the deadline. So it's conceivable, but I, I bet you he ends up somewhere else. Yeah, and that is the one thing about Jim Rutherford is he doesn't trade his first-round pick for a guy who doesn't have term. So I think that's easier right. to stomach from a fan perspective because if they're getting an asset, it's it's someone like even a David Perron who was under contract or Phil Kessel who was under contract forever and on down the line. So that that is the good thing that the Penguins don't trade a first-round pick willy-nilly just for a pure rental, which would be a departure for Furland. I, I think that's the big decision to weigh, like, is it worth it? Is it worth the risk? And to your point, we looked at um, what Toronto gave up for Jake Muzzin and our yeah. Toronto site on our on our sister blog for them, they gave up their 13th best prospect and their 18th best prospect, which one was a second round winger and one was a second round defenseman. And if you like did a one-to-one connection for the Penguins, that would have been Casper Bjorkquist, the second round pick who was like number, I think number nine, I had him ranked. And then a defenseman from the second round, Kalen Addison would be the Penguins prospect who would be number 10. So that would be like really difficult for Pittsburgh to have been in on Jake Muzzin, ignoring the cap and all, just because you're giving up your pretty much two of your best young prospects. And then Toronto, they have enough young guns that they can afford to give up, you know, a couple guys to get Jake Muzzin because they still have enough in reserve that it's really no big deal. Well, yeah, you know, that was an interesting trade. Um, I, I, I like what Toronto did. They're going for it. Muslin's a guy who will make them better, but they gave up a lot for him. Uh, he's not Bobby Orr. And they gave him a first-round pick and two pretty good prospects. That kind of set the bar a certain way, I think, for uh, the trades that we might see in the next few weeks. And, and one thing about Furland, I, I like him. He's a good player. How good is he, though? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think he's a good player. Is he a star? I don't think so. I, th- I think he's a nice second-line winger who has a, a physical element. But I, I almost feel like we're maybe talking him up a little too much right now. As much as I do like him, I, I don't know that he's going to be that valuable in the playoffs. Maybe he will if he ends up in the right situation. I do think he's a good player. But I, I don't know. I, th- I think people get so eager to see trades that you kind of talk up guys a little more than you should maybe sometimes in some cases around the league. And yeah, the guy's a good player. He's not Jerome McGinley, you know? Right. He kind of reminds me of like a Chris Kunitz type, but he doesn't have – Chris Kunitz would put up 30, 40 assists because he is a very good passer, and I think that was underrated a lot, Chris Kunitz's vision and his ability to move the puck. And I don't think Furland has that, so I definitely would agree with you there that I think Furland, he's kind of like the best, you know, since he's somewhat young and he's somewhat gritty and – available like he's definitely getting overrated a bit so I don't I don't know if he would even be worth it but I mean when you're going for it I just feel like sometimes you got to go for it he's a guy anybody would like to have he's a good player but yeah I I just boy I hear the asking price Carolina wants a first and a a really good prospect for him Uh, I don't know I, I think I'd be a little leery about going that far I'm glad you mentioned Chris Kunitz's passing ability by the way it's like the most underappreciated passer you'll ever see. That's why Sid loved playing with him so much. He always knew uh, how and when to get him the puck. And and Dom Simone has a little bit of that in his game. Unfortunately, he can't score goals yet, and that's the one thing that holds him back a little bit. But very good observation on Kunis. Great passer. Yeah, no doubt. Everybody thought it was all Sid, and I mean, it was probably mostly Sid, but Kunitz in his own right, especially like in his prime, not not towards the very end, but he was right. one heck of a player, and I think people overlook a lot of his, like, what made him tick and what helped Sid a lot, too. Oh, no doubt. I don't know. He, he knew how to get Sid the puck in the neutral zone with speed. That's the, the, There was absolutely something to be said for that. There wasn't just some magic chemistry they had. It was a, a particular skill set that Kunitz had, no question. One could make the argument, if we're talking about uh, player acquisitions uh, ahead of the trading deadline, uh, the Penguins could be reacquiring a player who they don't have to give up anything to get, and that is Justin Schultz. Uh, Josh, looking at Schultz's recovery from his broken leg, um, how, how far along is he uh, until we hopefully finally get to see him back on the ice. One would think that he's nearing the end of the rehabilitation process. Uh, is it, is it just a matter of, uh, a, a, I would, you would assume maybe a, a couple more weeks, get a couple of practices under his belt before he can rejoin and submit uh, the, the top four of that blue line. Um, yeah, he's really close. Um, just looking at the penguin schedule. 
Uh, boy, February 13th against the Oilers, his old team sounds like just about a perfect time for Schultz to come back, if I had to guess a game. Uh, maybe he'll even be back before then. He He's close. He's practicing with the team now. He still hasn't uh, taken contact in practice. That'll be the next step. Um, but he could be back as quickly as the Florida trip. It's conceivable. And uh, what a big deal that's going to be for so many reasons. Uh, number one, he's right-handed. And, you know, you got two left-handed guys playing on the right side right now. That, that is not ideal. Um, number two, he's just a really good player. And number three, I'll tell you who I think he's a big deal for. Uh, I think is Evgeny Malkin. Uh, we all know Malkin, five-on-five, five, is really struggling right now, uncharacteristically. We've never seen him in a slump quite like this. I think part of his problem is he doesn't have defensemen who can get him the puck. Uh, Latang is always on the ice with Crosby, and that's fine, as he should be. They're great together. But uh, who do you have getting the puck to, to Evgeny Malkin? Marcus Pedersen or Jack Johnson or Yusuf Ricola? I mean, these are usable players, but they're not really guys who are gifted puck movers. You get Justin Schultz out there with Evgeny Malkin, I think that makes a world of difference for Gino. I, I, I truly believe that. Uh, Schultz has been such of a great player for the Penguins, really, since the day he arrived here. And uh, so that's great. He's only a few days away, if I had to guess. And he'll help the power play, too. Uh, you know, the power play has struggled lately. I don't think that's Latang's fault. I think a lot of people like to give Chris a hard time for how he performs on the power play. And there are things I like about Schultz better on the power play. But uh, he'll help, and he'll help the second unit, too. So I, I would not uh, I would not uh, ignore the impact that Justin Schultz could make. Yeah, first of all, this is a very pro-Chris Latang podcast and organization. Like, <laughs> I, I don't Good. even understand oh half half the like uh, pe- why people are upset with him. Like it, it makes no sense to me because he's just far and away by far. I think he's probably the Penguins' best player other than Sidney Crosby, and that's just my opinion. But I think you're right on the money because we've seen Gino. He gets hemmed in, and even Olimata and Ricola, like you mentioned, they just can't they can't move the puck. They can't move it with control out of the zone. And that just hems them in, and that sticks them up. And I think that's hurting uh, Phil Kessel a little bit, too, at 5-on-5. Five five. So hopefully, what do you think, though, about um, Justin Schultz? He's been out since the fourth game of the season, so basically all season long. He was in a wheelchair at one point. Are they going to ask too much or expect too much for him to come back in? Everyone else is in midseason form. Do you think he really can recover enough to be the Justin Schultz we know that's going to move the puck and be effective and help things out? Or... How much of a tall mountain do you think this is for him to climb? No, I, I think he'll need some time. I think it's a good time for him to come back, though. He he is essentially getting about two months before the playoffs would start. And, and I think that's enough time to, to get acclimated back to game speed. It won't happen overnight. But uh, he just watched him in practice. He looks fine. He looks like Schultz to me. Um, he's just such of a natural talent and kind of an effortless player when he's at his best. So, Maybe for him, uh, you know, coming back won't be such of a difficult thing. You never know. I mean, he'll he'll have his games where he probably looks a little bit off, but it's not like he's coming back right into the playoffs or the week before. He's going to get you know 25 games or so under his belt, and I think that's probably enough. And by the way, I'm happy to be on the air with some pro Crystal Tang people because <laughs> you know I I sometimes make the mistake of reading Twitter a little too much, and sometimes I like to read the comments after my articles. Yeah, never do that. uh, Right. Always a bad idea. Um, (laughs) Like, I don't care. You can be the greatest writer ever. You're Mark Twain. Don't read the comments after your articles because one guy is going to make you mad and it's going to keep you up at night. But uh, the people who are critical of Crystal Tang, you know, they're always the ones that say, oh, they won a cup without him two years ago. Uh, To which I always say, well, try winning another one without him and see how that goes. Because this might not even be a playoff team without him. That's how good he's been this year. Other than Crosby, he's absolutely been their best player. I, I have him number one on my Norris ballot right now. I don't think that's me being a homer. I just get to see him play every night, and I have an appreciation for what he's doing right now. This is an extraordinarily good player at the moment. So we've talked about so we've talked about the forward depth. We've talked about the return of Justin Schultz. One last thing I want to touch on is, of course, we have it wouldn't be wouldn't be a podcast. It wouldn't be a Penguins podcast with a, a little bit of a talk about a goalie a goalie debate. And, and it seems like e- even though Marc-Andre Fleury is long gone and you would think the Fleury-Murray debate w- w- would just die a, a slow, quiet death, but no, it, it seems like we, we always have to have, you know, p- portions of this fan base always 
have to be arguing about which goaltender should be cemented as the number one goaltender. And, you, you know, this is the unofficial start of the, of the second half of the, the regular season heading into uh, presumably, you know, the Penguins are in pretty good spot right now heading into another playoff berth. Is this, Josh, do you think that this is, I don't know if I, I would call it the end of the rotation, but do you get the feeling that, you know, since Matt Murray's return and, and, and I believe it was mid to late December, if, if I'm not mistaken, since his return from injury, you know, he's looked pretty lights out with the exception of a few team stinkers here and there. Uh, the rotation that Mike Sullivan had, uh, Casey DeSmith and, and Matt Murray on, seemed to really um, rub a lot of fans, including myself, the wrong way at times. It, is Sullivan committed enough at this point to ride Murray for the remainder of the season into the playoffs? Or do you still get the feeling that, you know, he'll start Casey DeSmith whenever he feels like it because he can? Um, no, I get the sense that Matt Murray has uh, more than earned his playing time, and I think he has Sullivan's trust again. Um, there was a time there in October and November when you know Murray was not playing well, and there were three or four games during a stretch where we all thought Murray was going to get the start, and Sullivan went with the Smith. And there was a game in Jersey in particular in November. Uh, Murray looked like he wanted to kill someone after the morning skate when I, I think he had just found out he wasn't playing. Uh, he really wanted to be in there, but you're going to see him, I think, about 75% of the time the rest of the way if he stays healthy. He's been terrific since coming back into the lineup in mid-December. I don't think there's any question who the number one guy was. He's always been the number one guy. And, and by the way, you bring up the Flurry-Murray stuff, and you'll find no bigger fan of Marc-Andre Flurry than myself. But you know what one thing is that the Penguins fans don't want to acknowledge? Um, Flurry was ready to leave. Like He didn't really want to be in Pittsburgh anymore. It's not that he doesn't love the city or the organization, but he saw that, you know, Sullivan wanted to go with Murray. It was clear to him, and he was ready to go. Um, fans don't want to hear that, but it, it was just his time, and I think it worked out about as well as it could have. Thank you, Jimmy. Before you get before you get your next talking point in, Josh, I just want to thank you because that little tidbit, that little nugget right there, when this goes out and people get a chance to listen to what you just said, I'm hopeful that you know. The, the Murray Flurry debate finally finally dies the death that it has lo- long <laughs> deserved, knowing that, you know, sp- speaking from, you, you know, someone who is in the organization as much as you are, someone who's connected to the players that much, knowing, you know, knowing what was really going on through Mark andre Fleury's head at that point, nearing the expansion draft, you know, just to finally hear someone like you come out and say something like that, it's just like, it's it's about time you know someone would come out and just say you know th- this was Murray's team and you know like like you said for as much as Fleury loved the organization and the fans in the city I mean it was time to go and people to this day on February 1st 2019 are still <laughs> struggling with the fact that Marc-Andre Fleury isn't a Pittsburgh Penguin so I really do appreciate you sliding oh. in that little nugget right there at the end when describing Fleury. My pleasure. I mean, and it, there was no maliciousness on Mark's part. He just, he wanted to be the guy somewhere. He knew he was still a great goaltender and you can't blame him, but he, he also saw who the guy was in Sullivan's eyes, whether people want to agree with that or not. And, and the fact is uh, there's not one general manager in the league who would have done anything differently than, than what Rutherford did. You're always going to keep the guy who's 10 years younger, who makes a lot less money. It's, and that's not a knock on Mark Andre, who I think is probably going to end up in the hall of fame. I think he may have sealed his hall of fame, uh, resume getting an expansion team to the final last year but you know i think it worked out for everybody let's put it that way no doubt garrett's just very protective of matt murray and i like that about him but every time he's (laughs) always got to get things in and and that's fine and to that point that was the only decision because matt murray's stats were way better and it's really it was an aberration like i couldn't believe and still can't believe how well mark andre Fleury's playing in vegas with an expansion team i think that breathed new life into his career because by the numbers he was always an average at best goalie in Pittsburgh really like I mean everyone loved him he was very athletic he's a good guy we all know that and that's all true but those playoffs from 2010 to like 2015 weren't (laughs) weren't good at all like if that would happen to anyone else like people especially Pittsburgh fans would be running him out on a train but it's kind of interesting how that never happened no one ever really turned on him and of course he's just only become more popular I guess like a backup quarterback, like 
now that he's gone, it's just all piled on. Well, it's kind of interesting. Well, by the way, I, I asked him last year, about halfway through the season last year, I was out in Vegas, and I said, Flower, I said, how the hell are you doing this, man? You got the best numbers of your career. You're playing for an expansion team. What's going on? He said, well, you know, it's easier to be goalie here. I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, you know, here uh, they don't give up two-on-ones breakaways all the time. <laughs> I said, That's actually a very fair point. Uh, you're never going to see a Penguins goalie lead the league in goals against. Um, that's just the way they play. It's not easy being their goaltender. So, And I, and I think Mike Bales, by the way, deserves a lot of credit. I, I think he largely resuscitated Flowers' career in 2013 when he really needed it. All right, Josh, uh, we're just we're going to get you out of here. Uh, I just want to thank you again uh, on behalf of Jimmy and myself for coming on the Pennsburg podcast here. Um, we know, you, you know, it's pretty late at night after the game against the Senators. You're in Toronto, ready to cover tomorrow night's game. So, again, we just want to thank you. Uh, for those who don't know, you can follow Josh on Twitter at Josh Yoey underscore PGH for all of his fantastic content at The Athletic. I want to give a personal plug for The Athletic. Uh, I, I am a subscriber, as I'm sure Jimmy is as well. Uh, the subscription alone to The Athletic is worth it just for Josh's work and the, the tremendous content that he's pumping out. And now is really no, – there's no better time to get an athletic subscription because of the NHL trading deadline is coming up in a couple of weeks away. And, of course, the Penguins will be primed and ready to go for another hopefully long postseason push. But, Josh, again, we just want to thank you for coming on the Pennsburg podcast and talking some hockey with us. We really appreciate it. No, I really enjoyed it, guys. Anytime. It's a, it's a fun time of year for hockey, no question. And for the record, I'm only a subscriber because of Jesse. Oh, my well, God. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, maybe, maybe the same is true of me. I'm a big Jesse Marshall fan myself. Yeah, Jesse's the man. We we love him. He's my he's a good buddy of ours. <laughs> oh, no, he, Jesse's the best, no question. But thank right, you, Josh. Josh. We definitely appreciate your time and everything, and it was great to have you on, and hopefully we can do it again sometime. All right, anytime, guys. You got it. That was Josh Yoey from The Athletic. Uh, Jimmy, jo- uh, we haven't had the pleasure to interview Josh on the podcast yet, and top to bottom, that was a fantastic interview. I, I love, I love reading Josh's stuff on The Athletic. I love hearing him. You know, when he gets, when he gets the interview. Uh, when he when he gets booked for for local radio stations around Pittsburgh, he just seems like a fantastic guy from top to bottom. And you know, we touched on a lot of subjects, and it, it was just awesome to get the insight from someone who's in that locker room day in and day out, just being surrounded by you know all of those players, and even even Jim Rutherford. You know, I like to think yo, he knows how Rutherford thinks most of the time. So it's just fantastic to get that insight on the trade with Bukestad and, and McCann. Just a fantastic interview all around, in my opinion. Yeah, Josh is a really good dude. And the thing that's cool about him is he'll let you behind the curtain. He'll, he really, I think he does a good job of sharing what he knows and he gives some little little tidbits that isn't common knowledge. So yeah, it's always great to hear from him and read the stuff and talk to him especially. So yeah, it, it was a great interview tonight. We did pat on the back for you, Garrett. Good job. <laughs> and hopefully we'll get another one rolling soon. Yeah, you know, we 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 took a little bit of a break here after uh, right before Christmas and after New Year, you know, it kind of got kind of got a little uh little dead there and you know that was probably probably a little bit of my fault you know uh once christmas and new year's kicked around the the dead of winter got kicked around you know but you know starting the podcast up with a great interview with josh and you know we have a lot of exciting hockey now with the trade deadline approaching so the the pensburg podcast is back it is back in a full force and we aren't going anywhere between now and the end of the season and we hope the end of the season doesn't come until early to mid june at the earliest so Jimmy, I just want to thank you uh, for coming on tonight. Uh, I want to give my thanks to Josh Yoey as well. You can follow Josh on Twitter uh, at Josh Yoey underscore PGH. Uh, Jimmy, where can the fine folks uh, on Twitter find you? That would be Hooks underscore Orpic on Twitter or just Pensburg or more importantly, Pensburg Pod, P-O-D. Thanks for getting all of those plugs in because if you weren't going to, I was going to be the one to get those plugs in. But yes, uh, we also, I believe we also have an email address. If you'd like to send any other correspondences, 
the email is pensburgpodcast at gmail.com. Um, like Jimmy said, uh, you can follow the podcast Twitter to get notified when a new episode goes out. That's at pensburgpod, at pensburgpod. Um, Jimmy, I think that'll just about wrap it up for this edition of the Pensburg Podcast. Uh, if you, Unless you have anything else you'd like to say before we get out of here? Well, real quick, don't be shy. Everyone, send us some emails, send us some tweets. If you want to hear us discuss something or if you want to get some input, we're very receptive. We want to hear it. So I know lots of people are listening, so don't sit on your hands. Let us know what you think. We're happy to hear. We're happy to respond, and hopefully we can do that a little more. So with that said, it was a great show. I'm glad everyone listened, stuck to it to this point, and we appreciate it. So that's great. Absolutely. Well, for Jim Rixner, I have been Garrett Behanna. I want to thank anyone who uh, has listened to the podcast up to this point, who has listened to this episode of the podcast. We will be back next week with another fantastic episode of the Pensburg Podcast. See you next week.